Our first reading this morning comes from Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 22. And you can find it in your Pew Bible on page 944. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. The word of the Lord. Our second reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning with verse 8. It can be found in your pew Bible on page 965. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outward nature is wasting away, our inward nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. The word of the Lord. <laughs> As Andrew uh, said last week, we will be spending the summer in the Minor Prophets. Um, today, we're going to be in Zechariah. One quick little thing. Zechariah, we're doing the Minor Prophets. Uh, Andrew gets Jonah, and he gives me Zechariah. <laughs> Thanks, Andrew, wherever you are. That's what you get for not being at that meeting, I guess. <clears throat> um, we're going we're gonna to get into it, Zechariah. I would, I would love to um, do a, a show of hands how many people with 100% certainty, and we won't, you don't have to show your hands, with 100% certainty knew that Zechariah was a book in the Bible. Here's, here's what I think. 
Hamilton, the musical, you know, is crazy, and all of a sudden everybody knows Hamilton, and people, you ask people about Hamilton, they go, yeah, he was a, a president, right? Like, no, but, you know, he was Treasury Secretary. I think Zechariah is kind of that same way, like, it's a, it's a bible name, so I'm sure it's probably, yeah, it probably is, but with 100% certainty, did we know it, and how many of you in the last, you know, six months has spent a bunch of time and just really steep yourself in Zechariah. Yeah, that's what I thought. That was, I'm raising my hand on that. <clears throat> that's where I was. Um, but I'm grateful for this. This is, this is a great thing uh, to be in this. And I'm gonna read, I wanna read real quickly, there they are, um, our scripture today out of Zechariah. There's 14 chapters of Zechariah. We're not going through the whole thing. How do you pare all that down? I want us to read uh, in, in chapter 8, one, verses 1 to 8. And I'm a, a, a part of me doesn't want to do this till later, but we're going to go ahead and do it because I don't want it to be, it's, it feels like the teaser to a movie. Like, spoiler alert, here's what's coming. You know, this is the, the last scene here. Um, but, I, but we're going to read it because it's a teaser. I want it, I want it to be something that paints a little bit of the picture. This is what we're getting to. And so maybe that informs the way we look at Zechariah from here. So let's look at it. It's chapter 8, verses 1 to 8. It's on page, what does that say? 796 in your Bible. This is the word of the Lord from Zechariah. And the word of the Lord of hosts came, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Zion with great jealousy, and I am jealous for her with great wrath. Thus says the Lord, I have returned to Zion, and with and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Thus says the Lord of hosts, old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with staff in hand because of great age. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in its streets. Thus says the Lord of hosts, if it is marvelous in the sight of the remnant of these people, of this people in those days, should it also be marvelous in my sight, declares the Lord of hosts. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country. I will bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in faithfulness and righteousness. The word of the Lord. Minor prophets, not minor because they're shorter, not minor because they're less important, um, minor because of the, the quantity of their prophecies and what is written. That's minor only. There are a lot of them in there. Most of us probably don't spend a whole lot of time in them. That's, that's why we're looking at them right now. The prophet's job, their job description is to prepare us for our coming, the ultimate prophet. They are, they are to come prepare us. They are to remind us that that prophet, that, that Messiah is not here yet. That's part of what their job is. They, were, they are a stand-between. They are, they are a, uh, a go-between between us, between people and God. Um, because them, I mean, you know, but really us too are too maybe selfish, maybe too fearful, maybe just too dull and clueless to really 
hear God for ourselves. So we needed prophets to do that for us. So that's part of their job. Prophets were called by God. They were, it was God's the one who gave them the job description. And they, each one of them is a little representation of Jesus, of this coming Messiah that they're talking about, that they're prophesying about, that they're foreshadowing. Each one of them is a little picture of it. And part of what that does is it gives us part of this coming Messiah. That's great. But also it reminds us that we, we look at it and, oh, that's one puzzle piece, which implies there are lots of other puzzle pieces to this big picture. So it makes us curious as to what does this big picture look like of, what, of this coming Messiah. They were mediators. They were rejected. They were insufficient, kind of pointing us to and making us hungry for, thirsty for our all-sufficient Jesus. Zechariah particularly was a priest and a prophet. Those are two of the, of the three big offices that Messiah holds, prophet, priest, and king. And so Zechariah happens to be a priest and a prophet. Awesome. Um, his name, the Hebrew, his name means the Lord remembers. And the Hebrew words for the Lord there are, are not the high, holy, you can't say those words. It's the personal, covenantal name for God. The Lord remembers. So even in his name, it, ex it, it describes, it explains who he is and what he's going to be about. His message is from God is, I am your personal God and I remember you. And that's beautiful. So that's, that's who Zechariah is. There are more prophecies, uh, messianic prophecies in the book of Zechariah than there are in any other book of the Bible except the Psalms. Now you know. Didn't know that either. <clears throat> and you'll, you'll see some of those if you read it. Here's the setup for, for where, where we're at here. Uh, the people of Israel, this is post-exile. So they've just been on this long Babylonian exile. It's been terrible. They're back in Jerusalem. Um, and they have been tasked by Haggai to rebuild the temple. So that's what they're doing. Now, rebuilding the temple is... It's more than just, hey, you've been gone for a long time, and, you know, the church kind of fell, it needs some paint, or, you know, it fell down, or what. It's, the temple's been destroyed, and this is, this is much more than, hey, it'd be a good idea if we kind of rebuilt the church. That'd probably be nice. This is rebuilding the temple of God. In this day and age, this is where God dwelt. God chose to do, the presence of the Lord dwelt in the temple. So, rebuilding the temple is a big deal. It's a really big deal. And everyone is a part of it. And that's what they're doing. They're rebuilding the temple. Haggai has said, rebuild the temple. We're gonna look, Matt's gonna look at that in a few weeks. Rebuild the temple and, and the promise is we're gonna do this, we're gonna do it together and there's gonna be blessing in it. So they start the rebuild of the temple with this enthusiasm, this excitement and we're back and here we go. And then, <clears throat> where Zechariah comes, um, comes shortly after Haggai, shortly after, and it's really a, sh a pretty short time that this has happened. It's just probably months after they've started that the sheen has gone from the rose and, and they're, they're not quite as enthused. 
the temple building is going like what I think is just about any other building project that anybody has ever been a part of. It never quite goes as smooth as you think it's going to, as quickly as you think it's going to. I was talking to somebody who's, you know, having some work done on their house. Yeah, we should be in there in May. And in my mind, I'm going, July, August, really? You know, because that's just how it goes. And that's what's going on here. It's not going nearly as quickly as they wanted it to. It's not going nearly as smoothly as they expected it to, hoped it would. They're getting all kinds of resistance and persecution. And they are deeply discouraged. They've been promised this blessing. Haggai says, build the temple and the blessing of God will be in it. And they're going, blessing, okay. And there's no, this doesn't feel like blessing. There's no blessing in sight, they're thinking. And I think that's, we are so much like that. We get this idea of blessing. We, you know, do build the temple. Do what God said to do. And you do that and, and there's blessing. And we think, what we kind of make up in our mind what blessing looks like and and we miss it we get it way wrong i pulled this off i keep this on the shelf in my office office the title and i'm going to cover up who it's by um but the title says how to be rich and have everything you ever wanted and you know what that is that is an anointed prayer cloth so you just Pray your desires on this and send it in with a large donation and you will be blessed. And this book is filled with the word blessing. And my initial, when it came in the mail, my initial response was not to save it, you know. But I save it because it's this, we, that, it reminds me, that's what, we don't go to that extra, we don't, most of us here, we're Presbyterians, we don't think this way. But I think we do just a more Presbyterian version of that oftentimes, is we, we really think, and I hear people, I hear myself, I hear people say that all the time, like he's, you know, I'm doing what I'm supposed, I'm being a good person, why is this happening, or, or whatever. And so we have this idea of what the blessing should look like, and, it, and then the blessing doesn't come, and that's where people of, of Israel are right now. They're in Jerusalem, and it's not looking like they expected it. Where's the blessing in this? And they're deeply discouraged because, I think, they're looking around them at what they can see and what's going on and the the difficulty. And so this, for me, is, is one of the first places in the story where I kind of, the neon sign, insert self here, comes on for me. Because I think um, there's discouragement all around us. We, we all know people who are deeply discouraged. I came three weeks ago. I was with my sister, my little sister in Kansas City, who just became, at the age of 53, a widow with three children. And she is... She loves Jesus, and her husband loved Jesus. And they are trying to be obedient, and and she's sitting as a widow, and her three children are fatherless, and they're going, blessing? Blessing? 
what's next? What do I do? Where do I go from here? The week before that, I was in Haiti with a bunch of missionaries who were pouring themselves out, building the temple, doing this awesome thing, you know, bringing the, the presence of God, bringing the kingdom of God to this really dark place in the world. And there, there is so much discouragement and so much hurt and so much hard there. And I look at that and go, blessing? Really? That's not what I expected. Remember a few years ago, Mother, when Mother Teresa, Wonder Woman of the Faith, <clears throat> died, and a, the, a book came out about her, and it kind of rocked everybody because there, there, was, there was so much in the book about Mother Teresa doubting and wondering and questioning, is, is God in this? And the naysayers said, see, even your superhero knew it wasn't, you know, doubted. And they used that as, as fodder to say, see, it's not, it's not true. And she felt deep doubt and discouragement and hardship and despair. <clears throat> and that's kind of where the people of Israel are here. There's deep despair and hardship. And you read Zechariah, and it's supposed, you know, in the preview, it says, it's, this is a book of hope and encouragement. And let me tell you, read through it the first time and see if you catch that. Because I didn't. I mean, I read through it and it was like, okay, I'm all, I definitely am going to have to go back through again because I somehow miss hope and encouragement in all this. Because it's these, the first six chapters are all these crazy visions of chariots and horsemen and gigantic measuring tapes and huge uh, scrolls that are going to crush everyone. And then the craziest one, a woman in a basket with a lead lid. You go, whoa, didn't expect that, you know. But it's a book of encouragement. And it's a book of hope. Here's the message of Zechariah. The first message of Zechariah comes right out of the chute. First chapter, Zechariah says this in verse 3. Therefore, say to them, thus declares the Lord of hosts, return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. So the first message of Zechariah is return to me. Is change your direction. You've been moving this way, return, turn, move in a different direction, return to me. That's the first thing. Now, be clear on that. It, 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 it takes movement. The first thing that he tells them is return to me. That would imply you have something to do. You've got to start this thing. And that's really not accurate. Yes, you do have something to do, but you're not starting it because it says return. God is there. God is the one who started it. Always has, always will. Return to me, and God says, and I will return to you. We will be facing each other again. That's the starting point. That's the starting point in any of this. The second message of Zechariah is hope in me. And again, there's these crazy visions, and I think we should ask Andrew to explain those visions for us put something out online with an explanation of all these visions. You're on. All right. 
Now, there, there is meaning to all those crazy visions. God provides. God is going to protect. There's, there is meaning to all those things. We're not going to talk about those right now. The, the main one of the things that I notice about these visions is these visions happen at night. They were night visions. Why would he say that? Why wouldn't he just say visions? No, they were night visions. Okay? What's that about? The people of Israel are looking around, and they're discouraged because they're looking around in the day, and they're looking around them and seeing what they can see, and it's not good. It's not hopeful. Zechariah gets these visions at night when you can't see when you're not looking. He looks up instead of around. And that's where the visions come, and I think that's significant. So then I ask, in the midst of this, as I think about my sister, as I think about other folks that I know that are in despair and discouraged and wondering, here's the question, what what does hope look like then? Lord, what should hope look like? Shouldn't, doesn't hope look, feel good? Shouldn't it feel good? Because that's really what I want. I want it to be that. And I think the answer is maybe, maybe not. I think part of what God is telling us through Zechariah is uh, that what we really hope for is far bigger, richer, deeper, more important than feeling good. We want, and I think maybe the people of Israel wanted uh, a cheerleader. There's difficulty, we're building this temple and we want somebody to come along and give us a cool bottle of water and encouragement and sing a song to us or whatever. Encourage us, you're doing a great job, keep going and you know, hammer that nail or whatever. They want a cheerleader, they want encouragement, but God knows that's, that's not what he gives them. They don't need a cheerleader. What he gives them is a vision, a vision of glory, a vision of what's coming. Larry Crabb, it was up on the, on the screen before, Larry Crabb says this, Hebrews 1.1 defines faith as the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen, and it gives us assurance about things we cannot see. If your eyes are open, if you're looking around you at, a life, at life as it really is, and if you're centering your hopes on a smooth life that reliably works well, you can have no confidence that what you hope for will actually happen. It may, for a while, but it may not. Either way, before life is over, things are going to get difficult for all of us, and false faith will be proven false. Zechariah, speaking to the same folks who have just been listening to Haggai, told people to look around honestly with eyes wide open, but more importantly, to look up, hopefully, with eyes of faith to see what natural eyes cannot see. Zechariah is telling us that hope is soul language. Hope is soul change. That's what you really need. And so then they practically, so okay, so what do we do with that? I think it, it, the, the practical question is, okay, now what? What do, we, what do we do with this message? 
And in Zechariah 7, they send a priest to ask of the Lord, okay, so what do we do with that? Should I, should I weep? Uh, in chapter 7, verse 3, should I weep and abstain in the fifth month as I've done these, for these so many years? Do what, basically, they're saying, do we, do we continue to look back and do that? They had this thing where for 70 years they've been fasting and abstaining and um, looking back and, and looking back at their life and how they've been and regretting and, you know, uh, repenting and that kind of thing. Do we continue to look back? Is that what we're supposed to do? And it's interesting, the Lord's response to that is, yeah, the, all that fasting, that, re- that really wasn't for me. That was really for you. That was more about you than it was about me. So it's, is looking back important? No, but our past... Our past doesn't change us. Our past forms us. That's what made us who we are, our past. So our past is important. But there's past, there's present, there's future. What changes us is present and, more importantly, future. Psychologists, sociologists tell us that the, the most important change agent for us is the future, what we hope for, what we're moving toward. That's what changes us. Past forms us. So what do we, what do, we do now in, verse, in chapter 7 and verse 8 and 9? There's something we do now. The word of the Lord came, verse 8, um, to Zechariah saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, uh, render true judgment, show kindness and mercy to one, one another. Do not oppress the widow and fatherless, the sojourner or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against one another in your heart. There's I think he's saying basically live truly, live justly, live kindly. Yes, that is important. Do that. Please do that to the widow and the fatherless. Please do that. Live justly, live kindly now. But what really is going to matter is the future, is what we hope for because that's what changes us. I think God is saying in Zechariah, if you could see what I see, this unseen world, you you would be filled with hope. And then it's like, so, I'll give you a little picture of that. I'll give you a little glimpse of what the future is going to look like because that's what you need. You don't need rah-rah. You need a glimpse of what's going to happen. And so that's what he gives them. He gives them a glimpse of the kingdom that's coming. He gives them a glimpse of the real reason for their hope. And it's in the last chapter there, chapter 14. And I won't read the whole thing, but it, it, it starts by saying, Behold, the day, of the, Lord, uh, the day is coming for the Lord. And then it goes to describe what that day looks like. On that day, verse 4, His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem. Everything else is flat in this image. The only thing that's raised is the Mount of Olives. His feet will stand, stand on that. Uh, verse 6, on that day, neither day nor, there will be neither day nor night, but at evening time there shall be light. On that day, living waters shall flow out of Jerusalem, and the Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day, the Lord will be one, and his name one. Down in verse 20, on that day, there shall be inscribed on the bells of the horses, holy to the Lord. And every pot in Jerusalem and Judah shall be holy to the Lord of hosts. Not just the image there is not just the pots that they use 
in the, in the temple for worship, your cereal bowl, your mixing pot's going to be holy. That's what that day's going to look like. That is such a compelling picture. In their deepest discouragement, he doesn't give them ease, uh, success, help in their building project, raw, raw encouragement. He gives them a vision of what they're really working for. He gives them hope, a vision beyond here. A vision of what we really do hope for, for holiness, for wholeness, for righteousness, for rightness, and this coming shalom. And shalom is, is, yes. Shalom is, everything is the way it should be. And he gives them a vision of that and says, that's your hope. He's saying, don't look around. Look up, your Messiah is coming. And he is bringing shalom with him. That's why I read chapter 8 there. Because this, as I read this the first time, this was so compelling to me. This just jumped out at me. It was like, that is a great picture. I want to be there. Verse 4, thus says the Lord, old men and old women shall sit, shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with staff in hand because of great age, and the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in its streets, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in faithfulness and righteousness. Is that a great picture? Old people old because they've lived this full life and they're still around and they have to prop themselves up on a king. And they're just hanging out in the streets and kids are playing all over the place in the streets. Just beautiful, beautiful picture. That is so, man, it's like, I want to be there. The first thing when I was reading that, I'm picturing myself as a grandpa rocking in a frontier with, a billion little grandkids in my front yard. Girls, are you hearing this? <laughs> That's such a beautiful picture to me, this picture of peace, of... Oh. And that's what he gives them. That's what he gives us. There's this, this coming hope. Mother Teresa, we'll finish with her. Six months before her death, was in some of the deepest spiritual and physical pain, and she says to a friend of hers, Jesus is asking too much. She is in such pain. And then, just shortly before she died, she took a piece of paper and scribbled three words on it. I want Jesus. And I think we can look at that and say, oh, or a skeptic can look at that and say, oh, see, your superwoman, your wonder woman, at the end, Jesus isn't there. She wants Jesus and he's not there. But I think we all know, because we know enough of who she was, more importantly, we know enough of who Jesus is, he will never leave, never forsake What she is saying is, 
He has become my only hope. He has become her singular desire. I want Jesus. And shortly after that, she went to be with her Jesus. That was, that was her hope. Jesus, God did not give her an easier life. He didn't lift the darkness and the despair from her. She took that to her grave, but at her grave, she wants Jesus. Jesus is her only hope, and that's beautiful. And that is my prayer for me, for us. That is my prayer for my little sister. That is my prayer for my friends in Haiti. That is my prayer for us as a church that we could, we could want that, that Jesus would be our singular desire and that it would matter to us and to the people around us. Let's pray really quickly. Please, Jesus, make that true. There's so many things that work against that in us, but could you make that more and more true of us, that you would be more and more our singular desire? And we know that doesn't happen in a flash. And I guess we're probably wise enough to know that doesn't happen with an easy, comfortable, wonderful life either. I pray that you would turn our hearts that way and that we would want that and that that would make a difference and that, like you say here in chapter 8, verse 25, that in those days men from nations of every tongue will take hold of the robe of a Jew and say, let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. There's a great picture. Could we be more and more like that? The world, people around us, a lost, hurting world would grab the sleeve of our robe and say, we want to go with you because God is with you. Make us more like that. Make us more like our all-sufficient prophet, priest, king, Jesus. Uh, in whose name and whose power and whose authority we pray. Amen.